Astros pitcher Luis Garcia is looking like a blackjack dealer busting high rollers this spring. Backup catcher Corey Lee shows what Brown can do for you. Hey, Hector Nurse, you keep throwing at Altuve. Dusty's going to give you the Ryan Stanek playoff treatment. And spring forward should be called by its real name, Time Robbery. Now, excuse me while I attempt to take 30 minutes of yours. It's episode 14 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Shows. I'm Brandon Strange. Posted up in the middle like a center is Sports Map Houston senior content contributor Charlie Palillo. You can follow him on Twitter at Palillo and read his weekly column on sportsmap.com. Next to him is sportsmap.com editor and host of ESPN 97.5 and 92.5's Moneyline, Josh Jordan. Follow him on Twitter at JoshJordan975. Charlie, Josh, welcome in. First time I've posted up, really or metaphorically, in, in decades. But Brandon, come on. Other than the hour we lose that night, daylight saving time is fantastic. Stop. Agree to Begs disagree. To differ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think you're outnumbered on this one. So guys, well, I should say audience, if you haven't been paying attention to spring baseball for whatever reason, be it that you actually have a life or other interests, uh, we thought it'd be fun to run through Uh, a list of some of the young guys that are showing out early in Grapefruit League and or WBC. And we'll split that into categories of arms and bats. But before we get into that, uh, we did have some news from over the weekend. Three guys who have been MIA this spring are now BIA, back in action, Brantley McCullers and Jordan Alvarez. So guys, of the three of these guys, Jordan would seem to be the clear-cut most important news. But who is number two in your eyes? I'll go Lance McCullers, though I wouldn't want to cast a whole lot in banking on him getting and staying healthy. But with the Astros starting pitching depth, taking a significant hit of the loss of Justin Verlander, Hunter Brown is an unproven rookie, right? He flashed for 20 innings as a reliever. That was 20 innings as a reliever. Um, the Astros to have what you'd say is a five-man rotation that can throw with any in the majors, plus one, because no one makes it through a season with just five starting pitchers. I think McCullers is more essential to their pitching dominant hopes than Brantley is to their lineup being really good. Yeah, and you know McCullers is a guy you have under contract for several more years for a lot of money. Brantley's a one-year deal, so McCullers is the the most important out of those two guys. Yeah, I would agree, uh, mainly because not that I don't take Brantley uh, for for granted. I, I I want Brantley in the lineup, great average, uh, great veteran presence. But Brantley showed his veteran presence without the bat in his hand uh, last uh, postseason. Remember the story about him getting the team motivated after Game Three. I, I think it's really important that you have pitching depth on this team, and that does take us into a kind of you know, part one of our two parts kind of examination of the the young guns that have kind of shown out during spring. And we're going to be watching uh, the pitchings very, very closely because uh, Verlander being gone and because of health concerns with Lance McCullers, albeit mild to this point, we'll knock on the proverbial wood. Uh, who I'm most excited about this spring has been Luis Garcia. Garcia is not a spring chicken at 26, 
but he looks to be critical as Houston uh, is really looking to prove their rotation is still World Series worthy. In your opinion, how crucial is it that Garcia can cement himself as a fixture of this starting rotation? Well, I think he's the clear number three guy because he's good and been great. He's been good. ERA 348 in 21, 372, close to it, if not that on the nose to win both showcases uh, last season. But he still, I think, has unrealized upside. Uh, the most exciting thing that's happened so far in Astros spring training wasn't an Astros game. It was Garcia absolutely dominating in the Dominican Republic Galaxy of Stars lineup in three innings at the World Baseball Classic a couple of nights ago. Uh, he clearly, now, he could have used the the funky windup, but uh, zero issue with the transition, the cha-cha, the samba, whatever we're calling it, out. Maybe. No material effect on his load and, and fire uh, when working from the windup. So that's been encouraging. Um, you know, Arkady's a very solid and very good fourth or fifth guy, but I don't think anyone believes Arkady can explode into a, say, number two level starter. Garcia, I think, might still have that in his bag. So after Fromber and Javier, uh, I think Garcia is the guy you point to because he's been durable. Right? He's hit 150 innings each of the last two seasons. McCullers has hit 150 innings once in his life. Uh, so I think Garcia is the guy you're thinking both qualitatively and quantitatively who should be and probably needs to be the Astros' third best starting pitcher this year. Yeah, no doubt. You know, Hunter Brown, good to see that he pitched a little better his last time out. He had some struggles with his command. Looks like uh, he's kind of figured that out. So no worries there. But, you know, he you hope he slides into to your five spot. They're going to need him. And, you know, Arkady, like Charlie said, a lot of teams would kill to have him as their fourth starter. So Astros are in very good shape. Interesting to see, you know, Verlander have a, a great performance. There are a lot of stuff on Twitter. You know, are, are they going to miss him more than we're letting on? I'm not so sure. Of course you're going to miss Verlander. He won the Cy Young. But this is a very deep staff. I, I think the pitching is going to be terrific, so I'm not too concerned. But Garcia is a big part of that. They're going to need him to eat some innings, and it'd be great to see him take another step forward because he's another guy. They have so much club control over him. So, if you know, we'll see what happens with Fromber. It doesn't look like a deal is going to get done. Garcia might be a guy you really lean on in the coming years. They're going to miss Verlander significantly. Mm. Uh, 175 innings at a 175 ERA. And the trickle down of depth if you run into an injury or a guy just has an off year. But uh, the Astros work with lots of wiggle room, right? Verlander, you want to go with war. He was a seven win pitcher. Okay, let's say the Astros get borderline major league work in his stead. If you lose those seven wins, you drop from 106 all the way to 99. So it's a substantial loss, but not one that jeopardizes their playoff hopes of uh, any meaningful uh, amount. Hunter Brown is the new thing. And that's what I think always excitements around like what the new thing is. And there was a lot of maybe premature comments about him being a baby Verlander. Obviously the correlation is going to be made because of the similarities in the mechanics. But I've always thought that, you know, Garcia could be a very, very key piece to the starting rotation because he's definitely shown flashes, you know, remember the uh, divisional series where he pitched five innings of scoreless ball in relief. Interestingly enough, the uh, outing that you referenced for Team Venezuela, uh, seven strikeouts over three innings of relief. I'm, I'm excited to see what Garcia can bring. If he can really take that step forward, that's really meaningful for this team. I wonder if in some ways, Charlie, if maybe having to get rid of the rock, the baby is a blessing in disguise for him, a lot less 
uh, unneeded movements. I've heard some people, you know, talk about less head movement being very meaningful for a, a pitcher in their mechanics. Maybe this was really good for him in the long run. Well, if it was to hurt him, then I think, frankly, as a major league pitcher goes, he'd have been mentally weak because it's not like he's being told you can't throw a slider anymore or when there's a runner on base, you're not allowed to throw to first at all. Um, it was uh, it was the frosting on the cake. It was the peripheral stuff. So uh, that it has impacted him exactly zero to this point. And, you know, we'll judge, I guess, over time if it actually turns out to be for the better. And in terms of reaction to it, it's a classic example. If you're an Astros fan, oh, you Major League Baseball fuddy-duddies taking it away from him. If Garcia used the exact same windup as a New York Yankee, Astros fans would be saying, hey, what's this crap that he's doing out there? Uh, so we know how he's going to have to pitch. He's pitched, pitched nothing but splendidly so far. And 26 years old really should be the heart of, uh, of a pitcher's prime uh, in terms of physically and now with multiple years of experience under his belt. And nothing about Garcia, he just seems to be such a happy guy. <laughs> he, uh, he plays the game with joy. Um, best use of beads. I'm not remotely close to an expert on the subject, uh, but the best use of the beads and the hair with the, the colors of Venezuela. Uh, best bead use since maybe young Serena Williams winning a U.S. Open at 16 years old. Uh, I just think he's a very easy guy to root for. And if he nestles in uh, on the merits uh, behind Fromber and Javier this year, well, the Astros have a one, two, three that uh, maybe won't be the very best in baseball, but it won't take long to call the roll. Yeah, I can back that up, Charlie. Had some friends and family that just went down for spring training. Luis Garcia, according to everybody I, I talked to, super nice guy. Willing Always to, smiling. Yeah, give you autographs, smile. He was, you know, sit there and talk to you for a while. So I heard nothing but great things out of Luis Garcia. Seems to be a, just a great dude. And I won't for, forget the post game interview with uh, Garcia talk, after the World Series was ever with and the reporter asked him, I think it was the local Fox reporter asked him about his uh, affinity towards water parks and he says, uh, are you going to go celebrate by going to a water park? And he says, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I, I think there's just something really, uh, there's something organic and uh, really charismatic about a guy who just, like you said, Charlie is always smiling. Um, Josh, you mentioned it um, you know, a guy who's struggled a little bit, one of those young guys who's kind of struggled a little bit through the, the spring training has been Hunter Brown. His last outing was his best. I thought the comments from Dusty were a little funny because uh, he said he uh, paired uh, Brown with uh, uh, Corey Lee in this latest start and he hoped the familiarity aspect of it would pay off. Maldi's at World at WBC, so he's unavailable anyway. So there are really only two options to choose from. But uh, Josh, how much better do you feel? Because we we saw two games in which Hunter Brown did not have good outings. How how much better this last outing make you feel about uh, Hunter Brown and, and kind of the prospect of going into this season? I mean, a, a lot better. I don't know if there's a bigger number. So much of baseball is between the ears and how your confidence is just kind of how well you pitched the last time you were out. We remember that, you know, when he got used against the Yankees in the playoffs, he totally wild, just walking guys really struggling. And then we saw that him kind of carry that here into spring training to, you know, where he's walking the bases loaded, you know, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, this is major league baseball. They expect you to be able to throw strikes. So when you're just walking the bases loaded, it's not even close. That's, that's a concern. But the fact that he got that corrected and, 
you know, you point out Corey Lee, he did work with him. And, and Hunter Brown also talked about he did use the pitch clock last year. A lot of those games he was pitching to Corey Lee. So that familiarity, I think, is a good thing because he said he felt a, he was a little rushed in his starts this spring. So to get back with somebody that he has timing and, and experience with and, and to have a good outing, show that command a dominant outing, not just, hey, he didn't walk three guys. He came out and, and pitched really well. So th- that's huge for this team because they're going to lean on him early in the season. The Verlander doppelganger wind-up split screen – I don't want to say it was a disservice to Hunter Brown, but that's tough. Right? Yeah. Hunter Brown's not a super young kid. Justin Verlander was an all-star coming off, you know, 230 innings pitch season. And I noted this in a sports map column a couple of weeks ago. But Verlander is one of the great power slash control pitchers of all time. You have your prototypical power type guys through the history of the game. Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, who were never noted for pinpoint control. Then you have your guys like Greg Maddox, who are just, Picasso's out there painting it, putting it wherever they want. Then you have the guys who are the hybrids, Roger Clemens, Tom Seaver in this generation, Verlander, maybe to a little lesser extent in terms of, you know, the weaker in the uh, chain in the uh, weaker link in the chain, uh, Scherzer, Max Scherzer, probably not quite the control of Verlander. Pedro Martinez, another one. Johnson. Hunter Brown's not going to become one of those guys, yeah. uh, but he can still be a damn good pitcher and a critical element and help the Astros win a whole bunch of games for a whole lot of years. If he can just get, solidly consistent command going back to when he was at Wayne state throughout the minor leagues, uh, he's had walk issues. So he doesn't need to get down to where he's walking one guy per nine innings, but it's pretty tough to sustain success at the major league level, walking four per nine innings. And there are two levels of wildness. The, the more overt one is that you're walking guys or your catchers moving all over the uh, place behind the plate, trying to corral your stuff. Then there's wild within the strike zone where if you're not hitting your spots enough, well, you walk a guy, you walk another guy, maybe you throw a strike, but it's not where you want to throw the strike, and it's a three-run homer. Um, so Hunter Brown's still a, a babe in the woods in terms of major league experience. He flashed so well over 20 innings. Right? It's like a bad hitter can go 12 for 25 in one week. It doesn't mean he's become a great hitter. But we know Hunter Brown has great stuff. So his baseline is pretty good, but we'll tell the tale if he's to become an upper echelon starting pitcher is does he harness the command on a start-in, start-out basis? We spoke last week about how some of the players feel like the pitch clock is advantage uh, pitchers. And, you know, Josh talked about how uh, Hunter Brown felt like he was sped up a little bit. And I guess some of that can be attributed to the fact that he got called up to the majors last year and wasn't pitching with a pitch clock at the end of the season. And so maybe he got out of some of those best practices. But one of the things that's really going to – Uh, be looked at is how do pitchers respond to having uh, this, to being on the clock when you don't have time. And we talked about this a little bit last week, when you don't have time to kind of settle yourself or your catcher doesn't have the opportunity to settle you as a, as a pitcher, especially a young pitcher. Maybe you're a little early. Maybe you do, maybe you're the game's moving a little fast for you. I think that's something to keep our eye on with, with Hunter Brown is a young pitcher. His, you know, going to be his first full meaningful season at the majors. We're going to have to see how he responds to being on time like that. It could be a good thing because maybe he's at a pace to where he can't get in his own head, or it could be a thing in which maybe there's going to be a times in which maybe the game's running, running a little too fast for him. Uh, How soon do you think we'll know that with kind of how he's being affected by the pacing of the pitch clock? 
I'd want to give him eight to 10 starts into the season, provided he's getting a semi-regular turn. And we'll see how the Astros play this with off days. I would think they're going to go five-man rotation regardless, even with the off days, right? The question would have been, had McCullers been healthy and you had six, Yeah, you know, you don't want Fromber pitching on seven days rest during the regular season if you have an off day on a Thursday and another one on the following Monday. Uh, Brown's first start should be against the offensively challenged Detroit Tigers in game five of the season. So that should be a reasonably soft entry point, a chance for him to uh, uh, get established and, and have a, a first good outing. Uh, but batters, you know, the, the cliche is, well, you need to give a guy 150 plate appearances to get a feel for how his season's going. Uh, that's roughly a quarter of the season. So for Hunter Brown, especially as a first-time major league starting pitcher, um, you know, I wouldn't be looking to pull the ripcord and send him down to Sugarland if through his first three starts, he's walked five guys in 13 innings and given up seven earned runs. Yeah, it, that number is five, right? That's that's when Hunter Brown got into trouble in his early minor league careers. He was averaging over five walks per nine innings. Now he's gotten it to, you know, around three something, which is fine. As Charlie pointed to anything under four, I think you can live with. And, I mean, for the first month of the season, he's probably going to be going out there every fifth day. I mean, McCullers is just now, you know, playing catch. So I wouldn't expect him any time in April for sure. We'll see what happens with May. Also uh, newsworthy over the weekend, Forrest Whitley and J.P. France both optioned to the minors. Uh, Forrest Whitley also had a a kind of a bounce-back performance. Uh, Do we see either one of these guys – Anytime sooner than, I mean, I guess barring the wheels falling off on, on the rotation as far as injuries go, but we don't see either one of these guys. Do we, do you think maybe we'll see one of these guys, maybe when the rosters expand later in the year? I think law of averages necessity is the mother of invention. Someone gets a shot during the year, unless Dana Brown goes out and acquires a a veteran innings guy insurance policy what Jake Odorizzi had been for the Astros for for a couple seasons here. Um, You know, Whitley needs to go down to the minors and pitch well there because he hasn't pitched well in the minors in years. So to think that he was going to have, even if he had a couple, three excellent spring outings that uh, he's good to go in the major leagues, pipe dream, realistically. So he needs to go get innings and routine. I do think there probably comes a point with Whitley, you know, as long as you're not feeling like he's going to drag the ship down to the bottom of the ocean, if the, if the Astros have a need, even if Whitley's having a mediocre go of it at AAA, that you just you throw him in the water and, and see whether he sinks or swims. Um, you know, Ronel Blanco, they're seemingly lengthening him out. Uh, journeyman type minor leaguer, he turns 30 later this year, so not a guy you're thinking is a piece for the future. But if he's their best starter at AAA, I think the nearest term option, if, oh, geez, by May 1st they need a starter, uh, Brandon Bielak. You know, who's made some of those starts in the past, probably is the guy on nearest call. Yeah, I, I think Belak will be the first guy. I know to a lot of people it's not super sexy because you've seen him before. It's nothing new. He's not a guy that's going to blow you away, but sometimes it doesn't matter. You you just need somebody to go out there, eat some innings, and give you a chance to win a ball game. I'm with Charlie Ronel Blanco. Dana Brown talked about maybe he could become a starter he's been lights out in the winter league the past couple of years i mean not even get up giving up a run working as a closer so kind of a different deal if you expect him to start but they did try to send him out for a third inning the other day i'll be curious to see how he does but hopefully these are things we don't worry about you know let, let's hope the astros their main five six guys are, are going to get the job done for the majority of the season but 
it's a long year, so you never know how many guys you're going to need. Yeah. Okay, a play to the audience moment. Maybe Dana Brown could trade for Frankie Montas and Carlos Rodon. (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd say don't discount Blanco's age just because, you know, when you look at a guy like uh, Montero, Rafael Montero, having his best year uh, at at 30 or 31 in that same kind of age range. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibilities that Renel Blanco could be blossoming, you know, at this point. And we always talk about how, especially relief pitchers, seem to have these on again, off this on off years. Uh, we, we talked a lot about that on, on this podcast. As a matter of fact, Brad Peacock being one of those guys who would look lights out. And then next year he just could not find it. So I would not be surprised at all. If a guy like Blanco just finds it just out of the law of averages, just, you know, he's been in the league and he could just put it together. Some guys some just put it together uh, a little later and, Sometimes it's just for a single season, but if this happens to be his season and he can somehow crack the lineup, and again, there's going to be opportunities because, you know, we don't know. Uh, again, McCullers just started throwing. We don't know what his contributions will be yet. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of how it all plays out. Also, like to see what Seth Martinez can bring uh, to the table because the broadcast team joked about how he was the best pitcher that couldn't crack a major league lineup uh, last season. There's a lot of, uh, I would say backup quarterback enthusiasm uh, about uh, Seth Martinez. You're always interested in the thing that you don't see. And so Seth is one of these guys in the few appearances and the few opportunities he's gotten looks really sharp, looks really good. uh, And I'd like to see more of it. And he, just might be able to get that and also looking forward to seeing what uh, Matt Gage can bring to the table as, as the lefty in the lineup. We know Dusty likes a lefty. We know that's why uh, Dana Brown went and, and got him a lefty. He seems to be the only one that's healthy at this point. So it looks like it's going to be his job to lose. So I'm, I'm excited about what either one of those guys bring to the table. And yeah. very soon the, uh, reality that Hector Neris will not pitch to Jose Altuve uh, ever again, at least while both are employed uh, as members of the Houston Astros. Yeah, Martinez, uh, given the job description of pitcher, that he never gives up runs is, is a pretty good thing. But unless Phil Maton gets off to a, a real rocky start, like uh, last season Joe Smith as an Astro-type start, you just play the numbers game, and if they're going to carry a lefty, there's no spot for Seth Martinez, who'd probably be like second setup man for three quarters of other major league teams. Yeah, Gage has three scoreless innings, so he's pitching well this spring. And I was reading up on him a little bit. He's got a, some of that invisible to him, kind of that Christian Javier, a little bit of that vertical movement. So he's a guy that can challenge you up in the zone and get some strikeouts. So it'd be nice to have a, a lefty that you could really depend on. We haven't had that in quite some time. No. And, and the way James click talked about it, uh, the, there's, it sounded like, um, there was a real big push for that from uh, dusty Baker, uh, uh, during the, their run last year. And so dusty Baker believes that, you know, that lefty on lefty matchup didn't work out so well, uh, for the Phillies, but, uh, Obviously, Dusty Baker believes in it, and you know, the numbers back it up. Um, on the flip side of the coin is offense. And because of load management between Jordan and Brantley, there will be some at-bats to be had this season, especially early on. Additionally, Jason Castro and Christian Vasquez are both gone, so someone will have to play that backup catcher role. 
and all eyes are now on the young bats. And as it was the who said, uh, it's the kids are all right. Uh, so Justin Dearden, David Hensley, uh, Yiner Diaz, Corey Lee, all with pretty impressive numbers. But uh, out of these guys, um, you know, who, who are you excited to see? Uh, obviously, Dearden's been, you know, taking the world by storm with the power. But uh, a guy like, you know, uh, Yiner, who's really showing uh, really nice OPS early, you know, small sample sizes. And obviously you can't read too much when you're uh, teeing off on minor league pitching. But all of these guys look really good, especially, you know, the guys who are going to be playing your backup catcher role. Uh, Yiner's to me the most interesting because all he's done through the minor leagues is mash. So he's pounded on the door, I think, to earn a major league opportunity for ABs. Clearly, Maldonado is going to get the bulk of playing time, but bulk means two-thirds, or should be no more than two-thirds at the most. The 108 games, that's 54 starts, so you're looking at roughly 200 at-bats there. And if you're hitting, well, then you can siphon some more playing time from Maldonado if you're earning more of your keep. Uh, if you're going to occasionally spell Abreu at first base, there are DH at-bats to be had. Uh, I just look at Diaz line by line, year by year, and he's hit, he's hit, he's hit. Uh, Dearden's exciting. Again, as the left-handed hitting possible complement to McCormick in center field. And uh, you alluded to it, the sample size is so small. Uh, going into Monday, no one with as many as 20 at-bats. You know, you go 0 for 4, you can lose 60 points off your batting average. You go 3 for 4, you can gain 50. Uh, but that Dearden has shown the power. He's also struck out six times in 15 at-bats. Yeah. Uh, but – He's also looked good in the outfield. The man can run. Um, so, uh, you know, he's been the eye-opening guy because when the doors were thrown open in West Palm Beach, no one was thinking, ah, oh, Justin Dearden's the guy who could be the talk of camp. And he's been at least one of the talks of camp. Whereas Diaz, you know, if he'd gone either 11 for 17 to start or 1 for 17 to start, it would be yay or eh. Instead, he's very solidly in between, looking like the guy who's always hit. Yeah, I'm going to go with Corey Lee, just to be a little different here. I mean, you've got a first-round pick. It'd be nice for that to pay off for you right now. He's he's hitting in the 280s this spring. If he managed to do that, holy crap, what that would be in the regular season, it'd be 100 points higher than what Maldi's typically doing. Uh, Corey Lee's the better defensive catcher, great arm. So if you could somehow have him and he turns into a – average or somewhat plus hitting catcher and he's got two bombs five rbi already this spring so it'd be fantastic if he turned into what they hoped he would be when they took him in the first round and as you play the longer game i mean maybe slim down maldi was able to extend his career but i'm thinking in 2024 if it goes well diaz and lear splitting the job both right-handed hitters so you're not looking at a but with two catchers uh, that's fine. Someone can start 90 games. The other guy can start 72, however it works out. Uh, they're both viable major leaguers as you play the little bit longer game uh, with the Astros and turn over the roster further going forward to have two legit major league catcher options, uh, not yet 25 years of age. Not many organizations can can claim that. No, and wasn't Lee, I think he played like a few innings of first base today. I think I read that right. Yeah, Chandler Rome tweeted that out. He's going to play first base for the final three innings of today's game. So we also saw Michael Brantley was taking some reps over at first. So sounds like you got a whole lot of players that, that can do a lot of different things. So Astros are in a good spot here. 
Yeah. And speaking of first, we didn't really talk about this. We don't have it in the rundown. There's not really a convenient place to shoehorn it in. So consider it shoehorned here. Yuli Guriel signing a minor league uh, deal with the Marlins. So I, I guess now we understand why he had turned down that original offer and was trying to find another place to land because it appeared like it was a minor league deal. That's where he ends up going. Life comes at you quick. One minute you're getting clutch hits, uh, clutch RBIs in the World Series, and the next minute you're settling for a minor league deal. But uh, age is just undefeated, unfortunately, for all of us. Uh, just ask my hairline. And so, yeah, I, that's that's unfortunately, especially if you are a, a Houston fan to kind of see how it ends up. But obviously, much love towards Yuli. Uh, great run, great seven-year run. Is that is that right? Is it seven, seven years? It's in mid-season in 16. Yeah, so um, a great run for Yuli here. Uh, well, definitely, you, I don't think you can tell the story of the Houston Astros now as a franchise without mentioning Yuli Gurriel and his contributions. Um, Charlie, you picked, when we talked about who the young guns are excited about, you picked Diaz. Josh went with Lee. I'm going to go with uh, Dearden, and that's not just because I just learned how to say his last name correctly, but it's because I think it makes sense the fit makes sense because you're looking for uh, someone to platoon alongside uh, McCormick in center. And so it seems like Dearden can, or Dearden can play. See, I, I almost learned it. I'm, I'm that close. Uh, it's not just because, you know, you know, Dearden has been featured in center, so he can clearly play some center. It's clearly where they have their eye on, but I just think the fit uh, works there. And uh, you know, not that, I don't wish the best for Jake Myers, but a couple guys who we weren't, we didn't mention on that list were Jake Myers and Mauricio Dubon, just guys who are not getting it done with the bat, even in spring. So, you know, we always like to temper our expectations you know, with the numbers that guys put up in spring, but, you know, Jake and, and Mauricio don't even have that to kind of to rely on. They are not hitting well. Do you think just because Jake's had more reps at the big league club? Charlie, that we'll see him featured. He'll get maybe first dibs at that backup you know, center field spot, even though he's not a platoon candidate with McCormick. You know, uh, I mean, Dusty likes to go with veterans. It's not like Jake Myers qualifies as a veteran uh, relative to Dearden that he's played in the major leagues, uh, but not well for some time now. And the righty lefty thing, if you're looking to maximize flexibility, that's checkmark Dearden there. As long as you know you're going to give him at bats. Uh, I don't think they'd go straight platoon in center field, even though McCormick was great against lefties, lousy against righties. I don't think if you carry Dearden, he's going to get all the starts against right-handed pitching. But if you're not going to commit to at least giving him a good chunk of those starts uh, against right-handed pitching, um, you know, or a day where if Brantley's not ready, and it's probably a precursor to Dearden making the team, um, you know, splitting with Jordan in left field. And if Dearden's going to make it and be good, you know, that's another one looking beyond 2023. Drew Gilbert's supposed to be the Astros center fielder and leadoff hitter of the future. How quickly that comes, who knows? But to me, it should be the back half of 2024 if the kid's the truth. Right? It's a three-year college guy. He's not 19 years old. Um, well, then you have the Brantley role, right? Who's on a year to year, one year, and I'll presume one year, and this is it for him. Um, so will they want Dearden playing part-time at the major league level early in the season if the spot is there or every day at AAA and available when called upon? 
Yeah, and I think it'll be like that with the catchers too. It, you know, whether it's Lee or you know Diaz, whoever gets the gig, I think the other guys got to go to AAA and play every day. You know, they they got to get at bats. They can't just sit there and do nothing. So that's going to be the other piece to watch. And you brought it up, Jake Myers, one extra base hit this spring. I believe he's at two sixty seven, is what I have here. So not terrible, but not great. And Dubon doing Dubon things. He, he's at one sixty seven. So. You know, even coming in in better shape this year, it doesn't seem to be making much of an impact with the bat. How much does the looming departure, possible departure of Kyle Tucker play into kind of how they treat and develop a guy like Dearden? Because they they kind of need him in some ways to be, I mean, obviously the overlap will be much different than how it played out with Pena and Correa, but they kind of need Dearden to be the, the Pena to uh, Kyle Tucker's Correa. I don't think at all at this point, because we're talking three years out, right? Uh, heck uh, Dearden will be getting close to 30. But I'm Kyle <laughs> yeah. Tucker's playing yeah. for someone else. If that's how it's going to wind up in 2026, but you know, Jordan is locked up for near the rest of the decade if Gilbert is to be that catalyst top of the lineup center fielder well that leaves one everyday outfield spot plus the fourth guy DH type role um so opportunity knocking for Dearden or maybe Jacob Melton makes a leap maybe a Colin Barber uh, puts himself on the radar at some point or maybe the Astros next third outfielder isn't even in the system or on the roster and they're making a trade or a free agent play. One guy we know they won't be getting just to digress a little bit the contract Corbin Carroll gets with the Diamondbacks, right? He's Drew Gilbert warp factor five, uh, considered best prospect in baseball, left-handed hitting center fielder runs like a deer eight years, 111 million hit 104 bats as a rookie, still a rookie this year. The tie-in I wanted to make on that, no pity party for Jordan Alvarez. and He's not asking for one, I don't think. Uh, but I wonder if his agents are thinking, maybe we jump the gun. Right, Carroll's a rookie, so three non-arbitration years. If he'd just gone year by year, he made roughly $3 million for those three years. So with three years before free agency, he now has five years, $108 million on the books. Jordan, one of the most fearsome and best sluggers in the game, two separate years as an absolute monster, and a third year where he was damn good. Carroll, five years, $108 million to buy out his last three years. Jordan, six years, $115 million. Again, $19.5 million per year. It's not like Jordan's, Jordan's going to be in any bread lines. But man, do the Astros have a deal as long as Jordan's hands are all right. And that's that's the thing, right, yeah. Charlie? That's that's baked into that discount that you got with Jordan is he gets banged up a lot. He's had both of his knees operated on. The hand is clearly a chronic deal. It's been bothering him for what since the summer, at least that we know of. So that's baked in just like with McCullers, you know, the 85 million for him, that his history of injuries is why he wasn't getting more than that. So who knows if Jordan played more, God forbid, he could have showed he's even more injury prone and it could have gone the other way. So I can't blame him for taking that guaranteed life-changing money. And as an Astros fan, I'm very happy he signed that contract. The Astros, of course, you finesse these negotiations, depending which side of the street you're on. Hey, Kyle Tucker, Jordan's a much better hitter than you. So we're supposed to go way above six years, 115 million. Kyle Tucker, 
Well, yeah, you got him on the cheap. You beat me in salary arbitration, so uh, I have payback coming due there. And look at these other contracts all over baseball, including now a guy with 104 at-bats getting more than $1 million guaranteed for each of those at-bats. Eight years, $111 million. And this contract sizes only go up. They go one direction. We, we never really see unless some sort of cataclysmic thing happens within the sport, you never really see a normalization happen. So the wild card is this, if this whole RSN industry is in the process of crashing and major league baseball can't figure out how to properly monetize, taking it in house and going all streaming or whatever. Uh, That's uh, I don't want to say the grim reaper at the door, but it's going to be very interesting how that stuff shakes out. Yeah. And it is. So I guess that's, so two questions. One is, I guess uh, barring that doesn't, you know, have a seismic impact on con- these contracts and teams' abilities to make revenue. What what would do you think the tipping point would be for a guy like Jim Crane to maybe change? You know, kind of evolve his thought process on you know maybe signing guys to longer deals. You know, we did see a kind of a tone change from the Astros last week from Dana Brown talking about how, Oh, well, yeah, those 10 year deals, those weren't really anything that I gave away in Atlanta. Those, that was the owner doing that. And Hey, we, we all know the big contracts have to run through every owner. So we don't, we don't really know how much of that tone change is uh, Dana Brown, maybe taking some bullets for Jim Crane. Uh, but I do wonder how much uh, or at what point maybe Jim Crane's thinking on that evolves and then if, uh, if, if the RSM really does uh, or RSC really does have an impact on teams' abilities to make revenue, I wonder if we end up with this gigantic gap and how we reconcile that as a sport where guys are making these gigantic contracts and then there's a whole generation of guys who maybe have to uh, you know, accept different terms of contracts. Maybe they figure out a different way. It reminds me of... Uh, back in the NBA a few years ago when they just allowed teams to have kind of a a write-off, a a certain contract where they're like, hey, you can just write off a contract and and get out from underneath it. Um, I I wonder what that looks like if the RSC thing really does crumble. And we'll just have to see. Is this a a tectonic? Yeah, I shrugged. Is this a tectonic plate shift? And oh my goodness, you know, if, you, if the we we'll use the Astros as the example because, well, it's Stone Cold Strohs. Um, you know, do they try to stream directly to consumer and charge twenty five dollars per month for it, um, thirty dollars per month for it? And what's the subscriber level that will pay at that threshold? You know, if you charge thirty bucks per month, do you get one third the subscribers relative to if you charge ten bucks per month, one third the price? Um, I'm sure they have bean counters already working on all this stuff because baseball, as opposed to the NFL and to a lesser extent, the NBA, uh, you know, the local television revenues are massive. Major League Baseball's national TV deals. I mean, they still bring in huge money, but pennies on the dollar to the NFL and the NBA before the NBA's next round of deals, right? Their national contracts are much bigger. The nature of baseball, 162 games, it's a more localized and regional sport. Uh, so that spigot doesn't get turned off, but the the water pressure level is turned down. Uh, we're going to hear a whole bunch of teams crying, if not poverty, that at least, uh, hey, the golden goose has been choked here. Yeah, and, and hopefully if, you know, pitch clock starts making the, the games a little more, appealing to a younger audience maybe you 
you get more people watching baseball games regularly, that can only be good for the sport. You know, we talked about it briefly last week about the length of games and some people are unhappy about it speeding up. But for the most part, you're just missing out on batting gloves getting adjusted, stepping off the rubber. And most importantly, I went and looked back, games in the 70s and 80s, they averaged about two and a half hours. That's how long those games were. They moved along a lot quicker. It's only over the last 10 years that the game started averaging over three hours per game. So this isn't really baseball completely changing things and and looking ahead as much as they're like, well, the product was a little better in the 70s and 80s. Can we can we recapture some of that magic? And I think that's what they're trying to do. Well, uh, guys, we have uh, hit the 42 uh, minute mark here. And I guess in, uh, in honor of Jackie Robinson, I guess we'll just uh, uh, call it a, uh, call it a show before we go. I want to make sure everybody who's, in here watching right now make sure they hit the like button please give us some support we appreciate everybody who has commented you get one last opportunity to comment actually get way more than that but uh for our uh stone our bottom line question of the week and uh guys i, th I thought after this conversation you know we, we talked about who do you think is going to be you know the, the breakout hitter and this thing that i i want to open it up to the entire roster for the astros and who do you guys think are going to be is going to be the Astros a breakout player? You've got Michael Brantley, who's uh, going to come back and certainly could be uh, somebody is a candidate for comeback player of the year. Uh, Hunter Brown uh, gets his first full year at the big club. Who do you guys think uh, out of the entire roster is going to open up is going to be a breakout star for this team this year? Well, it's tough depending on how, how we're going to define breakout and and from what launch point. Uh, I won't be surprised if Alex Bregman is a top five MVP year, uh, fully healthy through the spring going into the season, seemingly having refigured out what made Alex Bregman an absolute beast back in 18 and 19 over the last two months or so uh, of last season. But would it be a breakout for Alex Bregman, who's already played a couple seasons at the superstar level? So I guess I'll circle back to close to where we started the program and, and go with Luis Garcia. Um, on the national scale, though, Christian Javier, even despite what he did in the postseason, starting the no-hitter against the Phillies, it's still the shorter resume. Um, so uh, Javier might be the, the shrewder play, but I already think of Javier as proven as pitching at a number two, maybe an ace starter level in his future. I don't think Garcia projects at that level, but since I wouldn't rule it out, uh, I'll go with uh, the beatific Luis Garcia. All right. Uh, I'm going to turn back the clock a little bit. Uh, he's an older player, but he's new to us. How about Jose Abreu coming over here, getting in a lineup with a lot more protection, a lot more guys on base, and, of course, those Crawford boxes for a right-handed power hitter. I don't think that's bad news at all. So how about Jose Abreu comes out here, and I'm not saying he's going to get back to 30 home runs, but maybe he gets back into the 20s again. And I'm going to go with, I gave away my answer. I'm going to go with Michael Brantley as a comeback player because I really think this he's really due for some good karma, some good health karma. And I could totally see this being a year for him where he can, uh, now with that uh, shoulder repair, we might even see maybe an uptick in power uh, back to maybe what we saw from him a couple of years ago. Although he's been trending the opposite direction. Maybe it's because he's had an nagging shoulder. We don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to say that. Uh, just because I just want some positive mojo for uh, Uncle Mike. I know it probably was very painful to have to sit on the bench and watch a World Series run and not be able to participate. 
obviously he was able to participate from a support role and a guy uh, that was a locker room presence, but I'm going to wishful thinking that this is uh, or uh, wishfully think that Michael Brantley is going to be a guy who can contribute equally with his bat and his attitude. And so I'm going to uh, take a look at, let's read some of the comments and kind of see what you guys say. Uh, first is we have a vote for Luis Garcia. That's awesome. I, th- I think that certainly aligns with what we're thinking. Um, and, he's really important. I hope that's it because man, if he can really establish himself, think of how critical it is. If, if Javier can be the guy who we think he can be, and if Fromber can be the guy who, who he was last year, and then you could say if Luis Garcia can solidify himself as that number three, well, now you know who your top three guys are. And that's really the most critical part of your rotation. When you enter into the postseason. if you, if you can tell me that Fromber, uh, Javier and Garcia are all going to be reliable this year. Boy, that that really bodes well for a postseason run. Uh, Frank says Hunter Brown is hopefully that guy. That'd be awesome too because if you can get Arkady obviously to be what he was for you last year, which is a very meaningful innings leader, uh, having Hunter Brown to help round out the starting rotation would be super big. Um, Eric says Abreu doesn't give up one run all season. I'm, I assume he means uh, uh, Brian Abreu. Uh, Jose Abreu, great choice, 300 hitter, says James. Uh, Astro Wharf says Brian Abreu is ready to shine. And and Charlie, I guess that speaks to kind of what you're talking about. Is like where do we kind of start off? I mean, obviously Brian Abreu showed out in the postseason uh, last year on a on a big st- stage, but people are going to be really paying attention to him. And uh, Marty feels the same way. Marty McShay says uh, Brian Abreu as well. And uh, Frank, we need more Abreus on the team. Yeah, we we really do. We lead the league uh, in in Jose's and Abreus. So that's going to wrap it up, which means I play this sounder. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. And that's it for another episode. That's 14 episodes in the books. I want to thank everyone who commented and participated in the show today. I want to thank my co-hosts, Charlie and Josh. Thank you for uh, talking some baseball with us. We are so close, guys, to the season starting up. Uh, We will reconvene next week, as we will all season, on Stone Cold Strohs right here on YouTube. Thanks so much, guys. Go Strohs.